Welcome to episode 5 of the Very Funny Podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Stone. We've got a great time ahead of us today together as we rejoice in the embrace of one another. Uh, I'm in Berlin, hence the uh, slightly bizarre setting with uh, plants and a lamp that isn't on and because it overexposes and ruins the shot. Um, I'm staying in a beautiful home here in Berlin. I actually am recording this podcast before my show by about a couple of hours, or before the sound check, rather. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am in Europe for my European uh, leg of the Love Isn't the Answer tour. We wrapped up London, Paris, Amsterdam, and today is Berlin. I want to thank everybody who came out to those shows. It's been amazing. Um, you may have also seen my talk, uh, my interview on BBC Hard Talk which is a show. Well, let's just jump into the podcast and talk about all of it. Before I continue from episode four, we were talking how stand-up comedy began in the Middle East. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just kind of recap what's been going on with me. First of all, we added some shows. So head to nimmercomedy.com to get your tickets if you're in Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, uh, and uh, I think we added another place. It'll be all in the description below. Um, also, uh, I'm going to be in Lebanon, uh, this coming week, I'm doing four small shows. So if you're in Beirut, head on out to those show in the description below. And, um, yeah. And thank you to everybody who showed up to the European shows. It's been, it really has been such a great experience to be in Europe. I've had so much fun. Uh, London was, uh, was amazing. Um, I uploaded an interview here on my channel, uh, that I did on a show called hard talk on BBC, uh, which, is a show I grew up watching, which is amazing because I was able to be on a show that I idolized as a kid. It's a really significant show. If, if you guys haven't seen Hard Talk, it's it was a big deal for me that I that they wanted, you know, they accepted to have me on the show, and it was an amazing interview, intense, and uh, I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't. Go ahead, it's on my channel. So you're already here if you're on YouTube. And if you're not on YouTube, head to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Nimmer Comedy, and watch it. Um, I did a lot of press. I was on BBC Radio Live 5. I was on uh, another TV show. If you were following my stories, you would have seen it. And the show was sold out. It was amazing. It was at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. And um, it was so much fun. The crowd was so good. And then I went to Paris after that. In Paris, the crowd was amazing. And Amsterdam, the crowd was amazing. And in between, I got to visit so many different things from each country that I was in. And uh, I think I'm going to do a video and post it on my YouTube channel that's going to kind of like combine all of the the stuff that I put together, um, kind of like the stories I was sharing on Instagram and, and stuff like that. I actually filmed a lot of footage in addition to what I posted on my Instagram stories, and I filmed them all vertical because YouTube now you can watch a video full screen vertical. So I'm going I'm to try and see if, if that if people enjoy watching that video without having to flip their phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> But yeah, the shows have been so much fun. Love Isn't the Answer is a show that I'm so proud of, and it's so nice to share with all of you. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you? Uh, no, what's going on with me is pretty much the whole point of this podcast. 
Uh, we're in episode five now, which is really cool. The last episode I, I was really happy with, and I loved the feedback that you guys gave me. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad you loved the show, or the episode, rather. I'm going to jump right into it and continue from where we left off last time. You know, I'm talking about how stand-up comedy started in the Middle East, and uh, and and how it we when we left off last, I I just basically recapped that um what had you know I finished school, so it's kind of like I'm I'm trying to tell you all what happened with me uh, because I did start the stand-up comedy scene more or less in the in the Middle East, so it's kind of like my story, uh, not just you know some random events happening, and. Uh, you know, after school, I was in the American University of Beirut um, studying nursing. No, I'm kidding. I didn't study. <laughs> I actually studied finance. Ever since, So I, when I was a kid, if you remember in episode three, I think it was when I started talking about books, there was a book I read called Cain and Abel, not the religious one. It's by Jeffrey Archer. And I, I couldn't recommend it enough, this book. Let me adjust the mic a bit here because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I want to sit up. Um, and Cain and Abel by Jeffrey Archer is this incredible book. I read it when I was must have made maybe 13 or 12 or something. And it was, it's centered around business and finance and stocks. And ever since then, I was like, I'm going to be in business. And I was already going to be in stand-up. So for me, it's like, I'm going to be in both. So when I went to the American University of Beirut, I uh, applied to be a business student. Uh, freshman year and then sophomore, I, I started business. And then my emphasis was finance. And... Um, that's where I started doing stand-up, was at the American University of Beirut. I, uh, there, there used to be a concert that the AUB would have every year called uh, The Outdoors, where you would get a bunch of local bands, and um, it would be like a three-day festival. You know, on the first day, you'd have these bands. On the, Think Coachella, <clears throat> but not Coachella. Anywho, I was a really funny kid. I used to do stand-up. I used to talk, I always talk like I'm doing stand-up. So when I'm, when I'm with a bunch of friends, I'll usually start talking and entertaining everybody and then it becomes like a group of people and I'm kind of like, you know, kind of riffing off of different topics, which is what my comedy shows are like. I'm very much me on stage. I'm more me on stage than I am off stage. And uh, I had a reputation for being funny. And the outdoors at the time, uh, they, and they all still are run by the music club, and um, there was a kid called Nadim who was running it. And I told him, um, uh, you know, let me host the outdoors and I'll do stand up in between. He was like, sure, why not? And that was the first time stand up had been done, I think, in the Middle East, to my knowledge, was at this AUB Outdoors in the Bathish Auditorium, as it's called, which is a very weird name. I used to call it Bathish because that's how it's pronounced, but it's Bathish. You know, people are afraid of Arabs in the Western world. And it's because we have theaters called Bathish. I mean, if you're a foreigner and you hear Bathish, you're going to be like, that doesn't sound inviting. But it's a family name, so I don't want to be making fun of that. But it's pretty brutal, uh, Bathish. Um, it sounds, it's it's also, here's some interesting information. It's very close to Batih, which means watermelon, which is also an aggressive sounding name. Who would have thought, that watermelon would be aggressive sounding in a foreign language. You know, watermelon, batich. It's heavy. It's uh, in Italian, watermeloni. I have no idea if that's what it is in Italian. Do you hear that? I don't know if you can hear that. It's starting to rain. I don't, I don't even know if you can see that. I kind of framed this and I, I can't see what... I should have flipped the screen. Anywho. So we do it in Batesha Auditorium. The, uh, the comedy... The, I start doing stand-up. 
And um, the first joke I ever opened with. So here's what happens. They tell me, Nimmer, prepare a few minutes of material. And uh, two, three minutes max. That's as much as you're going to be. And I figured, look, I'm going to be introducing the bands. We're opening up the thing. So, you know, welcome everybody to the AUB Outdoors. We're going to have a great time. Make some noise. Two, three minutes of jokes. You bring up the first band. You get things going. I don't need more material than that because I'll just improvise on stage. Uh, the next times that I'm going to be doing. That's a wind chime that you just heard right there. Anywho. So I said to myself, okay, let's make it easy. I got these two, three minutes of material. And at the time, it was The Matrix was like, was it The Matrix? I think it was, or that was another ABI. Anyways, I had two, three minutes of like killer material. And um, I get up on stage and I remember the joke. I stood up and I said, do we have any LAU students here? Lebanese American University, rival university, think Notre Dame and whatever. And... um, yeah, a bunch of people, whoa, they you know, start cheering. And then you have the AUB students, they start booing. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, come on, come on. No, no, what, that's, not, that's not who we are. Let's welcome our LAU brothers and sisters. Plus, don't you realize what, oh, don't, do you guys know what LAU and AUB students have in common? They both applied to AUB. That was my opening joke. Crowd went nuts. Um, they clapped so hard. That's also, that was like my first joke. Crushed. And um, people were cheering. I can't remember what the follow-up joke was, but those two, three minutes, I just, woo, killed it. And these were jokes that I had kind of written, not really written, that I kind of set around groups of friends. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I turn around to kind of bring up the band, and I see Nadine behind me going, like, stay on stage. And I have a, a bit of a side conversation for a second. And I find out that there's been a something went wrong, technical failure, mixer fuse burned. The electricity in Lebanon wasn't very reliable back then. And uh, they went to get a piece to change it to get things going. So I turn back around and I'm faced with a crowd, a uh, huge crowd, sold out crowd. And I don't have, and I'm done. My material's done. So I begin to improvise. What I figured would be just a, maybe an extra minute or two on stage turned into 45 minutes. But in those 45 minutes, I absolutely crushed. I destroyed. I was the funniest comedian you could ever imagine. I was incredible. I was like, in my mind, as I was continuing to go and continuously doing better and killing more and getting even more laughs, I was like, I really am meant to be a stand-up comic. I really am the greatest that ever lived or ever will be. I knew it in that moment. And um, I finished the set. I brought up the band finally. And then the other band, and in between sets, people were cheering and laughing, and I was they were eating out of the palm of my hand. And um, towards the middle, they started chanting my name so the bands would get off because they wanted more Nimmer. It was awesome. I finished that day. I went home. I was a god. Greatest guy to ever set foot in the world of comedy. I was a legend walking amongst insects. The next day, see, the first day I arrived a couple of hours early, sound checks, all that. I was, you know, reviewing my material. The next day, I walk in like three minutes before the show starts because it's a three-day festival. I'm here. Have no fear. Nimmer is here. It's all good, baby. Walk in. 
Uh, Nadim's like, what's wrong? Where were you? Were you late? Bro, it's all good. Who's up first? They give me the name of the band. Don't worry, no technical difficulties. You only got to be up there for about five minutes. I was like, <laughs> I got this. I walk out on stage. I stroll out. I'm the man. And I bomb like I've never bombed since. I've, I've, it was the worst. I got nothing. I walked out cocky. I walked out feeling amazing. And I sucked so hard. Oh my God, it was so bad. Oh, it was, it was like in flames, the band and their new music. It was the worst thing to ever happen. And I couldn't understand it for those five minutes. I almost felt like I was going to get booed off stage doing the same jokes that the previous day had crushed, brought up the first band, came to do the, in between the second and the, the first, the first band finished. I get back up. I suck even more and I can't understand it. Nothing's connecting. I go backstage. I ask if I can look into the crowd to see the house lights. Cause you might not know this when you're on stage, the lights are in your face. You actually don't see anybody. I look out and it's basically parents and I'm doing all this material that's geared towards more people my age. And they just didn't like me. And then slowly I was forced to keep getting up on that stage. These concerts are hours long like five, six hours, got up like 20, 30 times or whatever and uh, had to win the crowd back. It was humiliating. By the end of the night, I think possibly they thought I was okay. And the third day went really, really great. But that was, I learned such a valuable lesson that day, which I carry every moment of my life, which is you can never, ever, get cocky. What's beautiful about stand-up comedy is it's the most humble and noble industry there is because you're forced to stay humble. As soon as you see yourself as above the crowd, um, there's no longer a connection. They can't relate to you. Comedians, to be funny, are in service of the crowd. We are there not above the crowd, not on the level of the crowd. We are beneath the crowd. And we're constantly trying to win that crowd over. I always... Um, define stand-up as world creation. You get up on stage, you create a world, your world, and you invite everyone in, and you hope that it's exciting enough that they want to be a part of your world. But to call yourself a stand-up comic, in my opinion, is when the show is done. If when they leave your world and go back into theirs, theirs is forever changed. They see their world differently. If you can pull that off, then you can call yourself a stand-up comic. If you can't, I don't call myself a stand-up comic. And I learned that lesson that day. I walked up on that stage kind of like, I'm here, you're here to see me, your man is here, like an idiot. It doesn't matter how great you are. That's what's beautiful about stand-up. It doesn't matter how amazing you are. You're only as good as you are on that stage in that moment. Um, you could be Jack Nicholson. You walk up on that stage, you're going to get five minutes of just excitement, enthusiasm, people are ready to go. And then if you're not funny, you're not funny. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's what's amazing about stand-up. You know, I was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, Middle East. Uh, I've done shows for thousands of people. I've sold out arenas. I have a Showtime special. I've achieved incredible milestones. If you come and see a show for me now and I suck, you're not going to walk out and be like, yo, he was terrible, but he was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, so it was worth the ticket price. It doesn't matter what I've done. 
It only matters what I do in the moment. And that's what's amazing about stand-up comedy. Nothing you do can make you cocky. Because nothing you do gives you any anything besides a bit of enthusiasm before you get on stage. I'll tell you what it is. The better and more famous you are, it doesn't make you a better comic. It makes you somebody who's able to sell tickets more easily. Therefore, you can focus more on the material. Therefore, your material must be better. That's, that's what's beautiful about stand-up. And I learned it on that stage. And I never forgot that. And ever since then, I kept doing stand-up at university. I'd host AUB outdoor concerts. Um, and those were like stand-up comedy boot camps because you had three days, four days of getting on stage over and over and over again doing stand-up, trying to win crowds over. The last uh, st- uh, AUB outdoors I did was I think 5,000 or 6,000 people. And then I would later come back years later to do a show. I'm actually going to put footage uh, right here, right now. I'm going to insert it. If you're, if you're listening to this, you won't see it. But if you're watching this or if you go to YouTube to see the podcast, you'll see it. This is footage from a show that I did in the AUB outdoors, but not as a student. This is many years after I graduated. And I felt like a hero. Like, you know, I was alumni and all the students were there. And we set a record. There was 7,200 something people jammed into this place. So many people as you can see from this footage, um, that people couldn't sit down. Like you couldn't move back to sit down. You had to, they were just stuck to one another. That's how many people there were because there was no room for maneuverability. And, uh, and it was amazing. So AUB in this university, I'm doing stand-up. Uh, sometimes friend, then bands that I knew would have gigs at clubs close by. And I would basically open for them. You see, there were no comics. There were no comedy clubs. I would end up doing stand-up by attaching myself to these various gigs and local stuff. And I was always the funny guy. I remember, I wish phones were more prevalent. I didn't have a good phone. The only phone that I had, the first mobile phone I got uh, was when I was in university. My father took me to the National Bank of Kuwait. We're in Lebanon, but there's an NBK, National Bank of Kuwait. They had an offer that if you open up a bank account, you get a free phone. And I had worked the whole summer uh, with my dad. And my dad's boss at the time in the company he was working with in engineering, because uh, my dad didn't give me any money for working there. It was just like, you know, the, the money is in the character that you're building. Who needs cash when it puts hair on your chest? And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the guy who was running the company gave me $550, which to me was like a million bucks. It was like, I'd never seen that much money. I, 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 we weren't, I was, I don't come from wealthy family and we took that money and I opened up a bank account with them at the national bank, bank of Kuwait. And they gave me a phone number and a phone. And it was a, a phone called a Motorola Talkabout. And I had one of the pouches on the belt and you slip it in. And that phone didn't even, dude, to find out who the missed call was, you needed a PhD in astrophysics. I remember every, every time I'd get a, a missed call or something, you'd have to go through the menu, do a million different things just to get to the place where it was harder than, uh, than, than sex for a guy to try to please a woman, uh, straight sex. If, if you want to please a woman, it's, it's less complicated to figure that out than to navigate who miscalled you on a Motorola talk about phone. And this thing was like a weapon you could kill someone with. It was amazing. And um, I, it had no camera. Phones didn't come with cameras. And when I graduated, I think the Razor had come out. 
could be fuzzy on this. Maybe it didn't. I think maybe there were these horrible cameras. But filming and, and distributing content, this is 2000. I graduated in 2005. That wasn't a thing. There was MySpace back then. And, and we were on dial-up in Lebanon, um, if I'm not mistaken. No, we weren't on dial-up, but it was just as bad as dial-up. Or maybe we were. I can't even remember. And I wish somebody had filmed this because the last day of, of college, you see, if you remember from the last episode, I hated school. Hated school. Just hate. Hate. Like real hate. And college wasn't different. I didn't enjoy, I don't enjoy being in a place where you have to go and be there at a certain time and what I just, I can't, I, I'm not that kind of guy. I don't like institutions. And I, I, I was so happy when I finished my final, final exam at AUB. I think I did the funniest thing I ever did in my life. I, uh, and I wish there were cameras to film this, but there's a, there are witnesses. <laughs> I have a friend of mine called Ali Abus. And he says that in his whole life, he keeps, whenever I talk to him, he's like, up until now, I still haven't had laughed harder than that day. So I had a, I play guitar and I had a guitar with me and my friend who I call K, his name's Khalid Ashur, Saudi kid, one of the coolest, most humble and beautiful, philosophically brilliant people I know, good friend of mine, had this Marshall amp that was a pocket amp. You just hook it up. I think it's like 15 or 10 watts battery powered. He happened to have that with him. I happened to have my guitar and a jack. I hooked it up, put it on my belt. And at around midnight, I'm on university campus grounds. Everybody's studying for the finals. Final exam season isn't over. My, my final exams are done, but other people are studying. And for any of you who've been to college, I'm sure it's the same everywhere. At the American University of Beirut, I know it's the same in a lot of universities that I've seen. You, you people are on campus and they're studying together. They get into a class. They, they, um, re- they're reviewing together. There are students all over in the library, Jaffet Library. It was called in Nice Hall uh, classes. So just imagine a big university, uh, many buildings, and students everywhere, walking between the buildings, in the buildings, studying, intent, concentrating, worried, anxiety throughout the university. And then Nimmer plugs in his guitar and I start playing riffs. I start playing music, basically. And um, I go to where groups of kids are studying and I'll just slide in or I I would run in and I'd be like, like just to make them laugh because it was so absurd that there would be music coming and they'd be laughing and then security sees me. So security starts running after me. And I start running away from security. But as I'm running, I'm like, and I'm running. <laughs> and the security guy starts cracking up. He's like, <laughs> like it was, it was this hilarious thing. And I'm running like, and he's running behind me. And it was so funny that he just stopped and was like really laughing. And people were cracking up just the, the whole vision of this dark campus lit by by the lights on the campus of this guy just you're just studying and suddenly you're and you look up and you see this this gigantic six foot four guy one meter 95 running with a guitar playing a riff and then behind him there's a guy like hey, go back here like running to get me it was so funny the security guy just stopped and he goes yo um 
look, just, just don't run around. But this is hilarious. So I walk with the security guy and a bunch of students and I start busting into rooms. Um, there was nicely, 500 was the name of the room. There was hundreds of students inside. I tick in the door and slide in on my knees and I'd be like, like with a solo. And I'm, I'm telling you, like people were lo- like, I've never, <laughs> the laughter was hysterical. And I was, I was known on campus. I was a celebrity comic on that in universities. People were starting to know my name. So they were like, oh my God. Like they saw me, they'd crack up. It's Nimmer. They'd shut their books and they'd follow me. And we'd go into other classes. And um, then we went to the library, Jaffet Hall. And I had amassed a crowd of about maybe 120 people by that time. And we're sitting outside. There's a fountain. And this fountain turns on. And it goes, before it busts water up into the sky there's a motor goes and then fly so i stood on the fountain and i waited with the guitar and i heard and i just i hit a a bend and i i had long hair i looked to the heavens and i hit the bend and the fucking fountain exploded behind me shit was hilarious then I, i waited by the library and people would walk out the library dejected and depressed and I'd be behind them. They wouldn't see me because they'd walk out the door and I'd be standing right here. And I'd, I'd tiptoe behind them and then play the Metallica song. I can't remember what it's called. but And I'd whisper in their ear. I'd be like, you're going to fail. And they would, it, I think because of how there was so much anxiety because of the exams, I think that's what made it so much funnier. They would laugh so hard. And then wait for the next kid to come out. And before you knew it, it was about four in the morning or five. And we were like 500 students. At least that's what it looked like. And then the security guy comes and goes, look, we gotta, you got to get out. Okay. They had to open the doors of the main gate, close them. I, I can't remember what it was, but we had to leave. So I tell everybody, I jump on the fountain. I'm like, guys, we have an opportunity here. We can leave. We can walk out of this university gate today and say goodbye to today and just go home or we could walk out of this university today and say hello to today and own the day we could leave our mark on history if we had one chance just one chance that's how it felt and i'm like are you with me and everybody's like yes and i was like ah but we obviously they're and then one guy was like what are we doing though and i was like that's a good question follow me we're going to have the biggest protest at five in the morning at the crack of dawn in front of the police station. There's a police station called Makhfar Hbesh, Hbesh police station. We're going to walk by it and, uh, and just sing with me or just, just walk behind me. And we walk into what's called Bliss Street. Bliss Street is the street on the, the main street in, in front of our campus. And it's named after a guy called Daniel Bliss, an American who in one way or another contributed to the university. I think he was a president or something. We walk out onto Bliss Street. It's Nimmer with his guitar, followed by about 500 students that are packing this street. You need to understand streets in Lebanon are not that wide. This street fits, has cars, two lanes, max. Max. It's It's more like a lane and a half. But there's three cars somehow shoved in between. Anywho, we're walking down the street, 500 students, Nimmer on the guitar, and we just walk through. 
There's no traffic. The country's asleep. And I'm just playing just a beautiful solo. And all these students are walking behind me. And then we walk in front of the police station. And there's several police officers outside drinking coffee, looking so confused and just staring. And like, what are you protesting? There is nobody here to even hear. No questions asked. They just watched us and looked at each other and watched us as we walked by. And I'd like to think that in all my years, I contributed somehow to making those people's day just a bit unique. That was one of my favorite memories from university. It was an incredible night. But that was the kind of guy that I was on campus and I was doing stand-up as well and all that stuff. There was a lot more that was happening at the university as well um, when I was there. I, so I, as a student, I, I became the PR officer of the finance club. And I had a, a kid with me called Nicholas Hoodie. And Nicholas was, he, he had won the Penrose Award. Was it called the Penrose Award? I think it's the Penrose Award. This kid scored a cumulative average, a GPA of over 95% for the three year, four years that he was at university. And, um, and uh, we had Ali Hbus, who I mentioned earlier. He was the accountant. Nicholas was the president of the club. I was the PR guy. And, we, and, and that was it. And the thing was, Nicholas was... Uh, was obviously Christian. I was Christian. Ali was Muslim. We had another Muslim. And that was significant because, see, Lebanon, before stand-up comedy, and I'm going to talk about that later, about how it was the first kind of entertainment or real movement to bring people together, was heavily politicized and religious. And in university, the clubs were very political. So if you're part of the debate club, then you belong to this political party. If you're part of this club, you belong to that political party. And... um it's disgusting. Uh, political parties follow the elections at the universities like their elections for the country. And newspapers, the media, the fake news media, they would, they would hype up these elections. And you'd have a bunch of absolutely stupid students fighting for these political parties. Fighting, like physically fighting during elections. And, and, and they would try to do favors and hook people up to win seats for the student council. For politicians who don't give a shit about them in the slightest and don't do anything for their country. And it was, they were only fighting for these politicians, not because it's like, yo, I feel the burn and I'm going to go with Bernie Sanders or what, because their parents told them to. It's so fucking sad. And um, so these university students, in, in university, you'd have these political groups and when me and Nicholas and Ali got together, we're like, we're going to do the finance club and it's going to be, uh, it has nothing to do with religion. We're going to have a mixed religion. You know, you're a Christian, I'm Muslim, etc. Sunni and Shiite and all that. And um, um, no politics. It's going to be a finance club through and through. And there was a finance club before, but it had been deactivated. So we took it back. And that would have been great until we tried to get it signed. Uh, it, you needed to get it like um, officialized by the dean of the school of business or the assistant dean. I really wish I could remember this guy's name. But basically he comes and says, oh, if you want to do a club, then we have to bring in the master's students. I was like, first of all, that, that's not how it works. It's an undergraduate club. 
So there's no point in getting master's student. But the whole point, what he wanted to do was to bring in these heavily political so he wanted to politicize the club. And he's like, I won't sign it unless you bring these people in. I was like, we have no problem, but they can't be political or religious. These are the way we want to run the club. He's like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. But he was a sleazy, fucking disgusting man. And I could tell immediately something was up. And I had a meeting with Nicholas and I said, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to stick to our guns. This is how we're going to do it. And he said, sure. And then they tell us, okay, but before you can get your charter signed, you're going to have to host an event for a Lebanese minister. His name was Ahmad Al-Assad, if I'm not mistaken. And he was an ex-minister or an ex-prime minister, something important in the government. And he wants to give a talk. I said, yeah, but that sounds political. We don't do politics. We're about finance. No, 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 it's not political. You just have to host him. I told Nick, I'm like, look, man, I can feel it. They're going to try to politicize this. And he said, I can feel it too. What do we do? I said, well, we have no choice. We have to host the event. We'll set out ground rules and I'll talk and we'll make it happen. And here was the thing. We put out the word. There's a finance club. It's not political. It's not religious. And a lot of people were like, yo, I'll sign up if that's the case. And if Nimmer is involved and Nick is involved and Ali is involved and these guys, I like these guys, we're going to jump in. And if Nimmer is involved, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're definitely in, right? So People were like, we'll come to the event. When we announced this event, people were like, yo, what? I thought you weren't political. And I, I'm the PR guy. I got the message out that we were kind of forced to do this event, but you know, we're going to show that we can make a political thing more finance. Even though he's a politician, he's going to come discuss finance. And he said that he wanted to come and discuss his plan about uh, uh, getting rid of Lebanon's debt or something. So we get there. I'm wearing a suit, everything. He comes in and um, this guy has like thugs with him and they come in and they sit down. I'm talking like 30, 40 people come into the university grounds. They're old, like they're in their 40s. Big handed guys. They look like they work with metal or they drive big buses or something. They, they look like thugs, but whatever. I don't judge a book by its cover, but this guy comes in with them and we greet him and we welcome him, of course. And I, and I tell him, you know, I don't tell him what he can't say. I just tell him, you know, that it's not a uh, you know, that you're, I just want you to know we're the finance club and we're very proud that we're not political. And I'm so happy that you've, you've uh, decided not to get political and to talk strictly finance. He said, yes, of course. And I said, you know, it's very important to us. And he said, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not here to talk politics. And, you know, the devil smiles in your face. And he gets up on stage and he has the most stupid uh, proposal for fixing Lebanon's debt. And he says, it's very easy. What we'll do is we'll um, buy back our bonds, the bonds that we've issued for debt, and we'll reissue bonds with a much lower percentage. Now, I don't know if you guys know how finance works, but you don't decide what percentage return or interest, basically, you give on a bond. If you're selling debt and people are buying it, the percentage return they get on that is determined by how risky your country is. So let's say you're selling Lebanese debt bonds with a 6% yield. That means that it's been determined that if you give your money, you're getting 6% in return because that's how risky it is to keep your money tied up in these bonds. The risk assessment that they'll actually give you your money back if you want to sell the bond gives you a 6% return. But if you buy American treasury bonds, it's like 0.5%. I'm just giving an example. And this guy was like, it's very easy. We just buy back the bonds. Instead of doing it at 7%, we'll just do it at 1%. And that way we can close the debt off quicker. And he's like, we'll get a company like Arthur Anderson to do it. 
to which a student raised his hand and said, um, didn't Arthur Anderson go bankrupt two years ago? Like, this guy was so misinformed and so stupid, and I was, like, looking around like, he's either an idiot or he's not here to talk about this, and that was what happened. He then jumped into a diatribe about Hezbollah and its weapons. I don't remember if it was pro-Hezbollah, anti-Hezbollah, I can't remember. But as soon as I heard Hezbollah and how he was, you know, the, the, I was, I raised my hand immediately. I said, look, this is a, this, this, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I had a microphone with me, but today we're, we're here not to discuss, um, politics. The wording I used was we brought Mr. Assad here today. So I'm translating from English. I said, Jibna Sayyid Assad. Jibna, it means we brought, but I kind of meant like we, we hosted. I just didn't know how to translate it. And I'm, because he's speaking in Arabic and I said it in Arabic, not to talk politics, but to talk finance. So please, no, fi- no political questions because one guy raised his hand from the people he brought to ask, I'm remembering now, to ask him a question like, speaking of debt, what do you think about Hezbollah and Iran and Palestine? What it like, he, it had nothing to do with it. And um, as soon as I said that, like, sorry, no questions about politics. We're not going there. And this guy had clearly brought these people. Oh, and he had a film crew um, from TV news stations filming him so he could put this on TV. So the finance club was going to be on national television hosting a political. He was going to paint us politically completely in that moment. And I was like, fuck no. And um, so I stood up and I was like, with all due respect, we can't continue this talk and if we're going to keep going political i'm going to have to shut this talk down and this one thug stands up and turns right back at me and he goes respect yourself i'm translating from arabic you you uh don't know who you're talking to and if you talk again um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna break you basically and um i stood right up with the mic and i said this talk is now shut down get him off the stage, and if you want to go at me, let's go. Took my suit off, threw the mic on the ground, and I, and I start walking, and I feel something next to me, and I turn around, and all of the students from the business school were behind me, walking with me. And at the beginning, I was like, I'm going to get my ass kicked, but I'm going to stand for something. And to see everybody with me, about 60 or 70 students ready to go, because for the first time, somebody stood up to say no politics, Dude, I, I got goosebumps right now. And I ran. Security was there. They ran in. They separated everyone. I'm like, this guy comes off campus and threatens a student and nobody stops him? The only reason that security's intervening is because I'm making a move? That's fucking bullshit. And they kicked him off. I walked out. I was screaming on campus. Nicholas was behind me screaming on campus. Everybody was like, what's going on? By the end of the day, the whole campus was talking about this. The next day, I had a stand set up to take in people who want to sign up for the finance club. We had a line, the longest line I'd ever seen, wrapping around West Hall all the way to the Green Oval, which if you don't know is a really long distance of people signing up and paying $3 for the registration fee to be part of the club. And that was the beginning of the finance club. And that club became so popular because everybody was like, for the first time, a club besides the music club is not political. And it's run by these really cool people. Like there's Nicholas, who's this brilliant kid. And then there's Nimmer, who's an idiot, but very funny. And then there's, there's something magical here. And man, that club was amazing. But we still had that fucking assistant dean who was furious that we had done that to his event. And I remember we went up 
And he's like, this is unacceptable. I'm not going to give you your charter. And I stood up and I said, if you don't sign our charter, I will, things are going to get very real, very fast. And he said, if you talk to me like that again, I won't sign the document that lets you graduate. And I said, if you, I hope you don't, I'll never forget this. Nicholas was there. Should bring him as a guest one day to talk about this. I said, I hope you don't. Because if you don't, I will spend, I will take the least amount of credits in this university so that I can spend every single day and prolong my stay here to make your life a living hell. I will spend every day of my life finding out information about your personal life and spending every day making fun of you as you walk all over campus. I will walk with a megaphone behind you and continuously harass you. I will make you rue the day. It was like the funniest shit ever. And Nick is like, sit the fuck down. This guy controls your degree. I was like, I dare you not to sign my shit because of a political instance. I dare you. And everything we've been saying here, boom, I've been recording it. I fucking dare you. And this guy was shocked. And we walk away and he actually signs it. We never talk again. But he forces us to keep these fucking master students who are the most political people ever. And they're trying to politicize this group, but we never let them. And that finance club, I'm so proud of it because it became the most entertaining club we had the CEO of Citibank. We hosted some incredible speakers, man. And our, our we started to make money for the club. And then we had uh, phone lines for the club. We had a car for the club, like an account. We would rent cars and teachers would bring these very distinguished guests to come talk. And they would call us and ask us to handle everything. We'd pick them up at the airport. We'd drive them to their hotels. We'd have somebody with them at all times, take them out to dinner, wine them, dine them, the whole thing. They'd come give all of their love to the university because they felt so taken care of. These events, would we would sell out. We had uh, the CEO of Citigroup. I remember our, our professor um, at the time, a finance professor told me, "Can I, I have him coming in. I want him to give a talk. He'll be here after tomorrow. Can you fill the room with about 500 students? Boom, 500 students, done. Just everybody came in because they knew if, if we were behind that group, or this talk, it's going to be good. It's going to be entertaining. It's not going to be political. It's going to be educational. They're going to get their three bucks worth. And we'd get sponsors. We hooked up sponsors. And, um, you know, you'd come to one of the finance club events. There'd be free food. There'd be delicious high-quality Socrates. Shout out to them. Socrates is a delicious uh, food catering business in Lebanon. They'd supply food. We'd have um, Taj al-Muluk, or the Crown of Kings, is a, is a dessert place. They would give dessert. It was just, it was amazing. And I tell this story because the finance club was where I really started to understand PR and, and publicity and marketing and getting a crowd and getting people to be interested in something, how to sell tickets, how to sell an event, how to sell an image, branding. When I had that tussle with that um, politician and his thugs, that was what branded us. That moment was an opportunity to shine. I understood that you're presented with moments in life where taking a stand defines you and you can choose how people see you by the stand you take. And the difficult moments are the moments you should hope for. And all of that, I didn't know at the time, would be a breeding ground for what would create an industry of stand-up comedy across the Middle East. And we'll come back to this story um, in future episodes when I get to how I started to make it more of an industry and not just me doing shows. But this was such an important thing, this interaction, overcoming adversity, rejecting politicization and religion, rejecting division and making it about unity. 
it was these experiences and my experiences on the American University of Beirut with different students of different religions, different backgrounds that made me put that mantra, no politics, no religion, one love on the posters when I first started doing stand up and charging people to watch it, which we're going to get to in a future episode. But for now, I'm going to end it on this story. There's more to come, more episodes. I'm going to talk about more stuff to do with this. But for now, I'm going to end it here. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry I, I didn't take any uh, of your questions today because um, I didn't, to be honest with you, I have to get to the soundcheck for the show in Berlin. So I figured today I'm just going to do the podcast and put it out there and then we're going to do that. I do have good news. It's uh, the next episode of the podcast or this episode, sorry, the next episode. This episode of the podcast is dropping, as you know, uh, if you don't know this and you're watching it on YouTube, on iTunes. So do me a favor and head to the iTunes link. It's down below and throw in a rating because it helps us get this podcast trending and for more people to see it. And uh, if you haven't already, please share this podcast with your friends and family. If you guys like the video version of it, I love doing it on video. On iTunes, you can't hear it on video but it's audio only. But, you know, after iTunes, we're going to try to get it onto all the other platforms. We're definitely going to get it there. But the iTunes thing was the main thing. And uh, yeah, so help me spread the word about the podcast. I hope you're continuing to enjoy these episodes. Um, The cool thing that I can do on YouTube is we get to premiere the episodes. So if you're watching this and you don't know about it, be sure to hit the notification bell. That way in the future, uh, every time I drop an episode, I set when it's going to premiere a day or two in advance, sometimes more. And I sit and watch this episode with you guys and we sit and we chat together and you guys can ask me as the episode's going more questions. It's a really unique experience. I look forward to it almost as much, if not more than the podcast itself. So that's the end of the episode today for the Very Funny Podcast. Head to NimmerComedy.com to get your tickets to my shows. Uh, I'd love to see you at my shows. Uh, Milwaukee, Toronto, May 4, Milwaukee, March 23. Um, I got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm very excited to share it with you guys all the time. I love you all so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Episode 6 coming soon. Uh, The difference, episode 4 and episode 5 were a bit wide apart, so I might drop episode 6 a bit sooner to make up for that. And episode seven, continue with the regular schedule. Thank you guys very much. I'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye.